Welcome to Atypical, an offbeat take on news in the addiction recovery field. I'm co-host Mary Crocker-Cook from the San Jose City College Alcohol and Drug Studies Program. Be sure and subscribe. And I'm co-host Gary Montreza, Executive Director of Pathway Society in San Jose. Our purpose is to both educate and entertain with recent news stories about addiction field. We set our podcast up in sections that include drugs, news, an ethics challenge, and prevention. Now, in fact, let's start off with our first section. Our first section is, you have is, a guest today? Is this your parole officer? <laughs> As a matter of fact, we do have a guest today. We have Angelina is joining us. Go ahead and clap a little okay, bit. Okay, you can mind. clap when you want to. There she is. It's just she. Okay. Single. <laughs> Singular. I know. Well, you know, Found her on the street, remember we had said, though, not, not yeah. until the end of August is our big yeah. public podcast. That's a big show. That's the big show. Big so show. Angelina's sort of checking us out today to kind of let us have an audience. We appreciate her coming into the closet. They with do us. the release program. Yeah, and the release program is working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, today we're going to start off with uh, why would you use that to get high? And today, <laughs> Carrie. What do you got for me? Today I have something called cheese. I love cheese. Cheese. I love cheese. Okay. This is a highly addictive drug known as cheese heroin. It's a blend of black tar, Mexican heroin. It's called black tar because of its color. Uh. And over-the-counter cold medicine like Tylenol PM. The drug costs only a couple dollars a hit. Children as young as nine are hooked on cheese heroin and have been rushed to the emergency room for withdrawal. So, um, and I did check our DEA slang document, which oh, you know well, I do love. Yes, yes. What and unfortunately, there are no other terms for cheese heroin. Really? I mean, there's lots of terms for heroin. I was going to say cracker, but that's but, something completely but not, different. Not, <laughs> yeah, that'd be like my family. That's me. Yeah. yeah. Um, but. I'll tell you, it is a heroin-based recreational drug. Uh, It's become uh, called to the attention of the media inside and outside the United States because of a bunch of adolescents in Dallas um, have uh, been uh, died from it. So as of 2012, the drug use is now among older people who were teenagers around the time they first started using it. So anyway, so now, you know, people that were abusing this as teenagers are now continuing to abuse cheese as adults, Gary. Okay. The circle of life. Yes, sir. It's so heartwarming, isn't it? Yeah, the circle of addiction. Okay, so cheese is a combination of drugs, uh, heroin with crushed tablets of over-the-counter cold medicine like Tylenol PM, which includes acetaminophen, Mm. the active ingredient of Tylenol, and antihistamine, uh, the two active ingredients in Benadryl. And so they took some cheese samples obtained in North Dallas, and they actually did contain between 2 and 8% heroin. In contrast to the 30% found in black tar heroin, they actually snored it instead of shooting it. Um, It does have one other name called Tylenol with smack. But that's so direct. Subtle, Subtle, isn't it? Subtle. Yeah. Yeah. So due to the high concentration of non-opiate substances relative to the uh, diamorphine content of the drug, it can be more dangerous than pure opiate overdoses. So emergency personnel have to address the overdose effects of each component of the drug since each component varies widely among the batches. So the acetaminophen content includes severe irreversible damage to the liver. 
Very high doses of acetaminophen can uh, create actual acute liver failure and death within hours. Um, and they actually, people who are affected by this will require dialysis. So the problem is because of the different types of preparation, the users can't know what the actual combination is mm. of between the heroin and the Tylenol. Isn't that interesting that the, yeah. the, the Tylenol, the acetaminophen, is that what you Yeah, acetaminophen, yeah. That, that's more dangerous to you than the heroin? Isn't that interesting that in terms of dosages, yeah. yeah. I mean, so they must be having a dosage that's way off the chart of what you would yeah. normally have if you have a headache it must be it must yeah, be I mean, I if you're looking at liver damage yeah gosh because that, that's that's scary so anyway i i you know how i love bringing you know new ways to it's sunshine horrify you. It's just, it's sunshine. <laughs> you you have acute addiction and liver failure and at the same time. all at the same time and it's why would you use that to get yeah, high and we never you know we always ask the question we never answer i know it's hard why, to answer. Do they, why would you why, do that why yeah do you have a, what if you had a headache well you know what i'm thinking if you, <laughs> you, had, a headache. you had a headache along with your cravings well, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i know personally i'd probably just go with the heroin but i'm just, sure people have their reasons yeah i would just go pure yeah me too i, would, I don't know I would, why i'm wasting time with the acetaminophen but there you go yeah well as, okay as maybe usual, it's part of their denial you know I oh, it's just aspirin when really it's... Well, acetaminophen is not aspirin. It's cheese. It's cheese. Now, now, when we, now when we have people ask us if they want, if we want cheese I know. on our hamburgers... Where's it from? <laughs> Where's your cheese from? Dallas. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. What's the dosage? What's yeah. the original <laughs> flavor of this cheese? Um, mm. Heroin? Yeah. Uh, okay. That's so there sad. you go. Because I had this idyllic thing like cheese. Oh, yeah. You know, you go to certain places in parts of the world or in this country even and see these yeah. regions where they grow, they have the cows. That I know. Eventually, this great cheese. eventually, Gary, I'll probably ruin every possible thing. Everything know, from lip balm to gummy bears. <laughs> Mothballs. I know every, everything. It's like, what next? I know. I know. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so thank you for again for another horrifying segment of why would you use that to get high? <laughs> so let's shift our attention to news uh, in addiction. And if you've been under a rock, then you will not know anything we're talking about. But this is a news flash. The country has been under a rather pernicious. That's a big word. Um, Wow, yeah, that's I, a book learning you got there. That's a book learning. That's a book learning word. Um, opioid addiction. Um, uh, yep, indeed, epidemic. Ep ep epidemic. So, mm -hmm. as you may know, the Washington Post um, put out a database that had all kinds of really cool stuff, and this happened in in July and then into August. And they mm -hmm. put out maps. They put out interactive things we can click to see over the hottest areas for distribution of opioids. Okay. Um, and the scandalous part, and I don't know if you read this or not, but the scandalous part is this database was released because um, enough people put in requests and were threatening to sue the government for getting this information, but it was never going to become public. So are they under the Freedom of Information yeah, Act? Yeah, the FOIA, okay. FOIA as they okay. call it. Us pros, we yeah. call it FOIA. Those people who watch Rachel Maddow know that it's a FOIA. Yeah, and if you're, <laughs> if you're a Trump, you just say FOIA as in hat. Okay, so, but we mean FOIA, not FOIA. That's something different. So uh, that's what you wrap your whatever, what is it, what's it coming? What's Potato? the cheese coming? The cheese come in. Cheese? Yeah. 
the cheese, the drug, the, the, the oh, I, You know, honestly, I did not investigate how they deliver it. Packaging I'm thinking in a bag. Because okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've watched some of these programs. Don't ask me how I know, but I always see. I see well, that's true. Sometimes it's foil. You're right. You know, we'll have to watch the wire again and then talk about foil, it. Too. Yeah. What's that mean? All right. So anyway, um, first of all, so kudos that this all happened. Um, one startling result of this epidemic uh, is nearly 100,000 deaths between 2006 and 2012. Wow. And there's been, of course, much Many more. Many more since then, yeah. So I can I can plod through this um, this article, and it, but it does give a, a time lapse look from those that from 06 to 12, and I remember the, the graphic very well. If you slide it, it'll it'll show little red spots in different mm -hmm. areas in 2006, mm -hmm. and then within the six-year period, you'll see just, just as if blood is just spattered all wow. over the country, and I think it's emblematic of the, of yes, the damage is. that has done uh, throughout our country. So this, um, what they call an automated report and consolidated order system known as ARCOS, that's where this was pulled. It was from the Department of Justice and the DEA. But here's the big takeaways. Um, the database was never publicly released. They released it. Good for them. Kudos for them. And it's horrifying when you look at it. The second takeaway, these companies, um, and I won't bring up the sacrifice. <laughs> we had a listener complain. Um, Whose last name was probably Sackler. Is the Sackler said, get the guy off the Sackler thing. It's too much. Just tell him to shut up and read the article. Um, but uh, the Sacklers, among a, a few others, really um, flooded the nation with with more and more oxycodone, hydro. How do you say that? Hydrocodone pain. Yeah. Pills. Hydrocodone wow. pain. Now seventy six billion. That's wow. a lot of pain in the country, isn't it? That is a lot of pain. Wow. <laughs> and it caused a lot of pain as well. So uh, 2,000 cities um, have sued, you know, um, some of these companies, et cetera, et cetera. But let, here's the third takeaway. A handful of the companies manufactured and distributed most of the opioids. So now you have certain areas where they are distributing. You have these companies that were flooding the area, and it was only done by a few a few That's true. There weren't that many. Yeah. So um, Cardinal Health, and I know they're going to be in here. McKesson <laughs> was one of them. Wait, I'm going to turn the page. Is it there? I'm shaking. It's got to be. I'm shaking. They have to be there. They're not in there. There's a, they Active Pharma, article. Par Pharmaceutical. Yeah. Where's Sackler? Okay. What kind of article is this? Can't even bash on the Sacklers right now. Okay. No, no, no offense. So number four. No yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Number four, the number of pills distributed skyrocketed over seven years. No kidding. So look at the graphic. Yep. It's just pretty much incredible. So increasing 51% from $4.8.4 in 2006 mm -hmm. to $12 billion plus by 2012. And you can imagine what it is, yeah. in 2019 that we, we have even more problems. So let's see. By contrast, dose of morphine, well-known treatment for severe pain, averaged slightly more than $500 million a year during the same period. Wow. So, so 500 million versus morphine versus 8.4 and 12.6 billion yeah. of these medications. Mm -hmm. Wow. That and morphine is really effective. So it's like what, 24 times more? Yeah. Something wow. Like that. Uh -huh. The numbers of pills sold during the seven year period are staggering, of course, yes, far exceeding what had been previously disclosed in limited court filings and news stories. So the release of this database was really uh, formative and extremely important in my estimation, so that the country, you and I, mm -hmm. 
folks that work with our clients know the depth of, of the destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, the current fentanyl crisis, add that on. Oh, no, yeah, they know deaths, the fentanyl, yeah. 67,000 deaths oh. in a four-year period. Wow. 013 to 017. And number five, some states and rural areas were, were saturated. Hmm. Let's look. Let's take a deeper look at this. Moscow Mitch. Oh, yeah. McConnell may be interested to know that in his um, state alone, 63.3% of the folks wow. in that country were, or country, well, it is sort of a country when you go to Kentucky, yeah. isn't it? It's kind of a different area. Lots of banjos and <laughs> things like that. So yeah, I know. I'm thinking deliverance. <laughs> it's not deliverance. <laughs> So, and as I said, that's before, where they do the moonshine. I know. Anyway, I know it's deliverance. Uh, if we had that, I'm you've had that movie on your mind all I'm day, Gary. I don't know what's going on with you. That deliverance movie. Ed Beatty, wonderful actor <laughs> in his underwear. That's yeah. a traumatizing. Yeah, the audience thing. needs to know. It's like the fourth time he's mentioned deliverance yeah. today. When you're a young man, so clearly something's up with that. Yep, Tennessee, West Virginia, <laughs> Nevada. Um, high, had the highest opioid death rate from 06 to 012. So wow. obviously there's a, a direct correlation between distribution, um, targeting these um, particular areas, which let's be really honest, are, um, I guess if you're a Fox News wa- watcher, you'd be called a, a low information person. Mm. These are low information. Yeah. Well, they're rural and they're really struggling financially. Yes. And interestingly enough, uh, largely white. Which is which is interesting because so much of the when you think about historically the stigma around drug use and the mythology of drug use is urban and inner city and you know uh, poor Mexican and black children and you know you're looking at largely um, hill people people who are um, marginalized and struggling and uh, in a lot of psychic pain and you know one of the things about opiates is that they not only relieve your physical pain, but they do numb out your emotional and psychic pain. So it makes sense to me, actually, that there would be a big interest in use of the medications there. And what disgusts me, of course, is um, the exploitation that occurs with with folks that really don't have... That's right. They don't have a lot to begin with. Yeah. 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 So here you have billionaires exploiting those with, with really nothing. And in fact, you know what? And politicians aiding and abating it. Yeah. And you know what I'm going to do right now? We're switching gears. I'm going to, because I have a related, I'm going to segue and relate this because the next section is ethics challenge. Addiction counselors acting badly. Yeah. But before we talk about addiction counselors, I wanted to comment on this other article I got on the internal drug company email showing the indifference to the opioid oh, epidemic. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if you saw this, but they I were did. talking about, uh, for example, Victor Borelli, a national account manager uh, for Mallinckrodt, told Steve Cochran, vice president of sales for Key Source Medical, to check his inventories. And if you're low, order more. If you're okay, order more. Capiche and Borelli joke, destroy this email. Is that really possible? Oh, well. The filing by plaintiffs to pick some drug company employees is driven by profits, <clears throat> undeterred by the knowledge their products were wreaking havoc across the country. Um, in fact, in 2009, Borelli told Cochrane another email that 1,200 bottles of oxycodone, 30 milligram tablets have been shipped. Keep them coming, Cochrane responded, flying out of there. It's like people are addicted to these things or something. Oh, wait, people are. And Borelli mm-hmm. responded, just like Doritos, keep eating. We'll make more. Mm-hmm. So 
Apparently, uh, on Friday night, there's a spokesman for their company uh, sought to distance from the emails. So this is outrageously callous email for an individual who's not been employed by the company for many years. Um, and obviously the people that made these comments are not commenting, but yeah, there's, there's several, um, apparently they, the companies ignored red flags at Cardinal health, one of the largest national drug distributors, then CEO, Carrie Clark wrote in an email to Cardinal senior officials that the company's results oriented culture was perhaps leading to ill-advised or short-sighted decisions. The filing claims, really? uh, in the previous 18 months, Cardinal had been hit with nearly 1 billion in fine settlement and lost business as a result of multiple regulatory actions, which includes suspension of licenses to some of its uh, distribution centers because they were not, not maintaining effective control against opioid diversion. Mm -hmm. So uh, then McKesson Corporation's uh, Department of uh, Director of Regulatory Affairs told his colleagues he was concerned about the number of accounts we have that have large gaps between the amount of oxy or hydro they're allowed to buy and the amounts they really need. So this increases the, quote, opportunity for diversion by exposing more product for introduction into the pipeline than may be used for legitimate purposes. Uh -huh. So it's right out there. That was 2011. Of course. Okay, so it's it's right right there this that is, they very well knew uh, what was happening. And just, you know, yeah? you know I'm not a very political person, <laughs> but this is what unrestrained capitalism looks like. It is. This is what lack of regulation and accountability to the ruling class or the or corporatocracy, if mm -hmm. you want to get really technical. Well, look at, the, look at all the book learning Gary's had today. Somebody ate their Wheaties in between deliverance vision. No, no, it's a deliverance viewing. It's a repulsive corporate cretin. <laughs> it could, is repulsive. Something like that. It is repulsive. It's yeah. very horrible. Yeah. So, so, so ethics are involved here. Is that right? Well, I just wanted to share that because I happen to have it with me. Yeah. But now I'm going to turn to the ethics oh, the challenge, challenge, which is, uh, you know, addiction counselors acting badly. If you're an addiction counselor, you can get out your CCAP ethics codes and follow along. We do have a link um, on our atypicalpodbean.com. So I'm going to read this story, and you, you, we may have referred to this once before, but it's a follow-up. Former drug recovery advocate pleads guilty to charge related to fentanyl trafficking. Mm -hmm. This was the case that played a role in the cancellation of Mike Pence's visit. Oh, Remember, oh, he's right. going to answer. Right. He said, oh, yeah, yeah. a former drug recovery advocate admitted to this role, distributing a celebrated uh, distributing a celebrated member of New Hampshire Drug Recovery Center, pleaded guilty to transporting fentanyl across state lines. Uh, Jerry Hatch pleaded guilty on Friday to using a phone to facilitate distribution of 1,500 grams of fentanyl, according to a plea agreement in uh, Concord. He coordinated this um, from uh, Lawrence, uh, Massachusetts, to his home, and he was part of a network of dealers uh, that was captured in a sting operation in Manchester. He actually is a former NFL player mm. um, who worked at Granite Recovery Centers, and he actually got addicted as part of a knee replacement surgery. Yeah, so does that explain his criminal? That is well, I was going to say, but that does not explain <laughs> the crossing of freight state yeah. lines. So apparently, this played a part in last month's sudden cancellation of Vice President Mike Pence's visit to the recovery center. Um, and when asked by the judge why he didn't want to go to trial, Hatch said state police had evidence against him, and he'd been charged with a larger crime if he went to a jury trial. Oh, jeez. Okay, so court records paint a dark portrait. That's when you know you're in 2017, in the early days of proliferation of fentanyl in the Granite State federal and local law enforcement groups, there started to be a distribution. They identified the main person who was the distribution courier, and that was him. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so the police were able to arrest him. 
and uh, he had been coordinating and carrying out the trips. So there we go. He faces a maximum four-year prison sentence and a potential fine of up to $25,000. So he's going to be scheduled in November. But the saving grace? Yeah. He didn't have to meet Mike Pence. (laughs) That's true. He dodged a bullet there, didn't he? No, he dodged a piece of wood. There it is. There it is. Call him driftwood. Okay. So, gosh, I can think of so many things. Well, you know what? The part that kills me about that is because you see this sometimes with famous, you know, former athletes and that kind of thing. And they really do come out as role models for recovery. Exactly. And so it's really, in some ways, particularly awful that you've got somebody that that's their role, Mm -hmm. and then they're the largest distributor of fentanyl. (laughs) Whoops, sorry. Whoops. What was that other guy we covered a long time ago who who was the liquid gold? Uh, Yeah, oh, God, that was the urine guy, yeah. Yeah. Charging $1,000. That was the baseball guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You've got to watch these athletes. I'm telling you. I mean... To be like a cyclist, you know, at the elite level, they just dope. They, they just, just do it directly. Yeah, they, they just affect hurt, themselves. They don't hurt anybody. You know? I'm oh, sorry. Never mind. We'll get letters from the UCI now. The governing body of cyclists. The Union's Cyclist International. Definitely get a hold of us. So, okay. I, I don't know. Uh, review. Well, you know, I'm going to say boundaries would probably be where I would go. I'd say we got some serious boundary problems here with this guy. And, you know, basically uh, engaging in inappropriate social relationships, business relationships, and um, with patients and other people, and uh, unlawfully administrating administrating to himself or others a controlled substance, because (laughs) I don't. I suspect yeah, he yeah. was probably using his product in the in the possible. So I think there's several things there, engaging in the practice of addiction counseling without, you know, while well, yeah. at the same time being loaded. So yeah. I think we've got several things going on there. So few, few anyway, that's pretty bad. Contact and again, issues. if you're going to be a role model, for God's sake, try not to distribute. Okay, it's bad enough if you relapse because well, just, you know we do have a relapsing disease. Yeah, we but do. don't be a distributor. But I, okay? I know, and if you're going to be a role model, just consider the audience. You want to be a yeah. role model for, you know? Yeah. Jeez. Dealer. Who are you working for? Yeah. Gosh, this is crazy. So okay. here we are, moving on. So that was an interesting article, <laughs> of course. Um, and and again, some of your ethics challenges are almost as horrifying as you. Why would you take that to get high? It's true. <laughs> I don't know where you find those. I'm going to have to, I'm gonna have to up my game. Um, so speaking of upping the game, we're going to try something a little different. This is an interesting article. This time, it's really, we're going to talk about prevention, but we're going to do it in a different way. And we're going to talk about the intersection of what I would call, hmm. how would we say, public health, substance use disorder, mental health, and yeah. criminal justice. And where this is coming from is we, as you know, um, the prevalence of guns yeah. in this country has um, really taken off um, with a lack of proper, I would say, laws in place to mm-hmm. protect people. Mm-hmm. And so we know locally for ourselves, we've had um, a mass shooting yeah, in Gilroy. Yeah, shooting in Gilroy, yeah. We know um, of two other horrifying events in the country in the last, it's been four weeks now. So I believe we've had three. And we had we had three back-to-back, yeah. Yeah, and within about a two-week two Yes, two, week, two weekends in a row, yeah. Um, so this garners um, certainly all of our attention. And, and I think one of the things that set us both off Mm-hmm. If I could speak for you, which yep. is always going to be <laughs> always dicey, yep. always dicey. That's when the hate mail shows. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mansplain to her. 
okay, I'm not. I'm just talking to her. Um, but that did that didn't happen, folks. I'm joking. So uh, this whole notion, uh, and it's coming from our president and other higher ups, um, that somehow the folks that perpetrate uh, violence on the scale that we've seen in the last month and and years, frankly. Uh, somehow there's a mental health issue. Yeah, there's a mental. We need to do more about mental health. Well, yeah. It's they're going to wrap it in mental health, and we're here to suggest to you that it's it's not mental health. No. Um, in fact, it's a public health issue. Exactly. But that's how violence and gun violence is studied in our country. Now, you may, as an educated person listening to this podcast, which I know all of you are, all you of you know are, that there's prohibitions to studying. That's right. They stopped. They, they what is the government made a decision That's to correct. no longer uh, fund any kind of gun violence research. That's right. Yeah. That's so. That what that means is the handshake that exists between the, the NRA and some of our politicians. Mitch McConnell comes to mind. Well, one of um, them mm-hmm. is it, it, really uh, taking a toll on our communities. And so we wanted to spend a minute to uncouple the notion that a person who perpetrates. Um, such heinous violence with a weapon of mass destruction mm-hmm. um, is somehow mentally ill or has some juice disorder. Yeah. I mean, that's what's been, say, been said, and, and we wanted to say not so much. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. You know, because one of the things that I was, I told Gary, well, you're sitting here, Gary, yeah, Gary. Uh, okay. that I told you was that I, I was in the back of my head every time I hear this, I keep thinking to myself, you know, white nationalism is not a DSM-5 diagnosis. Correct. It is not a mental health diagnosis. No. Racism is not a mental health diagnosis. Okay? So, I mean, there are... So this idea that somehow let's let's divert this discussion onto the mental health people, mm-hmm. right, is, is scary to me because of the potential stigma uh, it raises for, for mentally ill people. And, and also, I just want to point out the insidious nature of the rhetoric around the idea of mental health. Apparently... If a Caucasian person uh, commits violence at this scale, they have a mental health issue. But if you're not, if you're fr- uh, from a different country, let's say a Middle Eastern country, and mm-hmm. you commit some type of violence of this nature, it's already going to be attached. Well, to now some it's terrorism. Right? terrorism. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. we 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 know here at the um, at our podcast, we know that any typical that this is. A human issue. Yes, it is. That is devoid of any race, creed, color, or anything. In fact, it's it's really a public health issue. Yes, it is. So yes, it we is. wanted to spend just a moment to kind of unpack this a little bit and reframe it. And so we're using a um, something we found, a, a slide deck, a presentation mm-hmm. we found that we're going to pull from. It's safety, not stigma, reframing the way we talk about mental health in America. So yep. that's the that's first it. part. So Quick test. Um, let's see. If someone does this, I'll just let's right. do it like a quiz. If okay. you have a mental health issue or a severe or a substance use disorder combined, are you likelier to go out and commit violence on a mass scale or are you more likely to take your own life? I would say more likely to take your own life. Yes, Gary. that's correct. That's correct. You are absolutely right. In fact, psychological autopsies have reported higher numbers up to 90%. So in other words, if you take your life, there's almost a 90% chance that you're suffering from mental health or substance disorder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not There's no correlation like that with, with um, terrorism. That's right. There, there is none. And so that's the first order. Those with substance use disorders are six times more likely to complete suicide than those without. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So we're learning now. Yeah. We all know that the risk goes way up if you're loaded. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you're, you're driven by... Uh, 
intractable anxiety and depression or whatever it may That's be going right. on, and it's compounded by substance disorder. And so you take your life, and it's a very desperate thing when that when that occurs. Typically, from our experience, a person suffering like that is not able to, is not capable to go and take other people's lives. Exactly. They're, they're not thinking that way. If you understand the, you can, mm-hmm. if you can speak more to sure. the, to what that looks like from a mental health perspective, you're incapacitated when you're, when yeah. you're at this point. Yeah, part of part of the the despair and and the thinking around that level of despair with suicidality is that in general the people you love, the world around you would be just better off. In fact, in your mind you're thinking to yourself, uh it's too painful to do this and and the people I love don't need the burden of me. So it is it's an in some ways can be a very other oriented thinking process, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to um, you know, a desire to harm or a uh, desire to punish. Mm-hmm. Um, not that that can't happen, yeah. but that is certainly not, that is not more, that's not typical. Yeah. yeah. Mass shooting and this correlation between mental health and some just substance use disorder and mass shootings, it doesn't exist. What I'm really trying to say is it doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, what does exist, what we do know in our own experience in the literature is that, yes, it, there's definitely harm to self insofar as like a suicide. Mm-hmm. There also may be higher rate incidents of, of family violence. Yep, domestic violence. And, and, and other things of that nature. But the notion that that gets externalized into the community in some gross act of violence, it does, that, the data doesn't support that. Absolutely. In fact, it says uh, the same, the same, the same deck said, if you were to suddenly cure schizophrenia, bipolar, and depression overnight, violent crime in the U.S. would fall by only 4%. And much of this relates to the co-occurring substance use, because which gets back to the you're more likely to complete mm-hmm. the violence if you are under the influence. So, you know, we're talking about you know, the role of violent crime being a very small percentage. In one study, only 52 out of the 235 killers, about 22% even had a mental illness. Mm-hmm. Another study of shooters who killed four or more people since 1966 found that 14% have been diagnosed with a psychotic disorder and that mass shootings account for only one-tenth of 1% of homicide deaths. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of uh, when you think about child uh, abuse I mean, you're more likely to be injured by a family member. You're more likely to be killed by a family member Mm -hmm. than you are, you know, a stranger. Yes. Okay. Now, the difference is um, the type of weapon. And we just saw that uh, when, you know, we had the police respond, you know, a couple weekends ago in 30 seconds. And and already there have been nine people killed because mm-hmm. the because you're looking at automatic weapons mm-hmm. the level of destruction is so much faster where in domestic violence it's frequently somebody has a a handgun right so yeah. they shoot themselves they shoot the other person uh, yeah and these are impulsive acts yeah often they are so they often are most yeah. um well i would say suggest all almost all mass violence uh, episodes are not impulsive no acts. you have to get They're your weapon well. yeah yes. the, all the ammo you have to have mm-hmm. a plan they're yeah. well planned. I think of the Mandalay Bay um, situation. Oh yeah, yeah. Las Vegas, where I think upwards of fifty people were oh, killed, yeah. and it's it's startling to hear these numbers. And that I think that's why I think we were compelled to bring this up. That associating what is, for all intents and purposes, a public health issue of of the nexus between people with the means to create such mm-hmm. harm and destruction, meaning mm-hmm. a war-like weapon, mm-hmm. and the ideology and the radicalization of thought. An action that goes along with this pathology mm-hmm. 
is not mental health. Right. It's not a mental health issue. Um, if it, well, you know what the argument could be, and, and I understand where the argument comes from because part of it is, well, you'd have to be mentally ill to sure. be willing to kill that many people, right? I think that's where the thinking comes from. Some of us would say a person needs to be mentally ill to be the leader of a world country and speak in terms that are so grotesque and activate people. Um, Okay, there's that. But, and I would say that is still not necessarily mental illness. It's not mental illness. Okay, because what we're looking at is idealism or ideology or a destructive belief system. Yes. You know, and so, you know, is it possible at some point we might be able to tar parse that out and say, well, it's a combination of, you know, being a sociopath or something like that. But mm -hmm. as far as we know so far, it tends to be uh, people with a great deal of rage mm -hmm. and a great deal of anger. But it is not a, a diagnostic classification as a mental illness. Mm -hmm. OK, not at this point. And I certainly worry about um, what happens for people who, you know, are going to be looked at with unnecessary par paranoia and fear mm -hmm. simply because, you know, they have a diagnosable mental illness. So, you know, I'm really glad you brought this up um, yeah. and that you wanted to talk about this today, because this has definitely been on my mind. It's um, been on my mind a lot. And yeah. you know, I'm just suggesting if you extrapolate this, what I'll call um, systemic racism. Yeah. Um, and you be careful and listen for the language you'll, you'll hear. It's in front of us right now. We have people who should know better trying to suggest, oh, it's something it's not. Yeah. Because of the color of the skin of the people, the perpetrators. That's right. I mean, That's I'll right. That well, and not only that, but I think it's to divert the discussion from guns. Yes. You know, because you always get back to that. Well, it's not guns that kill people, right? Well, you know what? You could kill way more people with an AK-57 in a much shorter period of time. Is it forty-seven okay. or fifty-seven? Or is it fifty-seven? Yeah, I don't. You have the new one. Uh, oh, and maybe. Oh, you, for you, God's sake, I don't know, Gary. I don't either. I don't know either. I but know I think it's the point is, it kills lots of people faster. Yeah. You know, than a handgun. Not that everybody should have one of those. Now, it's interesting that the other thing I heard today on NPR, there's, again, this renewed discussion of should people have, uh, should we have more concealed carry, right? <laughs> this gets back That's to the teachers, that the yeah, solution yeah. to this is we all just need more weapons, yeah, right? Yeah. Again, there's absolutely no, no, uh, no any kind of correlation, no research that would say that you're safer uh, if somebody around you is carrying a weapon. In, te in Texas, in Walmart, in that particular instance, that's an open carry area. Yes, it is. You're and right. No one was um, stepping in to dispatch this fellow who was, um, you know, creating all this death and destruction. Um, and I would just say, suggest this, that um, since we're talking about this correlation, uh, someone who perpetrates a mass shooting is dealing with external hate. hatred. Yeah. Oftentimes, the folks that are suffering the most, it's internal hatred. Oh, yeah. Of them. Yeah, internalized and, shame. And, yeah. and trauma and all that. You're right. And those are very, very different. And, and mm -hmm. one is a mental health issue, the internal. That's right. Um, the external, that is something completely different that we're talking about. So mm -hmm. I want to just draw one more correlation to this. And, and we, you know, I think we like to come back to this. We probably will. And track yeah. the subject. Yeah, unfortunately, it'll probably come up it'll again. It'll probably keep yeah. going. And um, do we have any questions from the audio? Yeah, we have our one yeah. audience member. Any yes. thoughts, Angelina? Yeah, I, still, I have a leftover question from earlier about the cheese. Um, we have a cheese is, question. Is it is the when they do the combination uh -huh. of the heroin and the... Um, Huh? Tylenol? Uh -huh. Yeah, does it turn orange? Is that why you call it cheese? You know what? So we, I did not so see question, in my... Okay, tell the question. The question is, 
Why is, is it called cheese? Because if you add the Tylenol in with the heroin, it turns orange, which makes it cheese colored, which I think is a really marvelous question. Oh, I did question. not see an answer to that question in my research. So it looks like cheddar cheese? So, yeah. It would look or like, maybe it could be white cheese. Could be white cheese. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I wonder if it has sort of a lumpy texture mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? I would, I would encourage our listeners to get on the Internet and do some research and find out because Angelina wants to know, why is it called cheese? Is it because it looks like cheese? And I think that is a good question. That is a great question. That's a great question. So thank you, Angelina, cool. for participating in today's show. Thank you, audience. Thank you for audience for looking yeah. up the answer to that question. Say members or we say mem we'll get back to <laughs> members. Members. As well as one of her members. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay, let's now come to our last section as a good segue here. Humility check moment this week. And this section reminds us not to take ourselves too seriously. A key to burnout prevention and humility. Okay. Are you now, can I just do an inquiry? Okay. Are you going to talk about what anything that just recently happened with your car? No, I have a, I have another one. You have another one? I do. So should I mention it? You can say what you want to say. Okay, so Mary's covered in bandages <laughs> on her wrist and her hand. Yes, I am. So I immediately, you know it, you know where I went. Gardening accident. <laughs> you know where, exactly where I went. Because one piece of clothing, cords being mowed down, God knows. Who, who knows? But um, it's, apparently that's not what happened. No. You had an issue with your car. And I did. It was overheating. It spit up on you. And it did. Hot liquid. Yeah, yeah. I got a steam burn. And you're okay, though. Yeah, I'm okay. I've just started blistery. <laughs> so that means whatever's coming up next better be good. Well, I'll tell you. It, that was good. It's, it, it's true. But this one was is actually pretty stupid. And I saved it for you because, you know, I love to save these things. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> I was having a, a section of, uh, in front of my house torn out, the, a bunch of old bricks that were all cattywampus and yeah. stuff, right? And so I was, I had the young guy next door. He was pulling them out for me because I thought it was going to be hard. And I went out there and he was making some progress and I got all enthusiastic and I was about halfway getting ready for work, about half dressed. I was dressed, yeah, but I dressed. hadn't put on my makeup yet. Oh. So I went on out. I was so excited. And I said, oh, and I was I, putting together young guy and half dressed. Oh, yeah. Day. No, no. Wait he's no, he was too young. Believe me, that'd be bad. Anyway, I went out there and I got so enthusiastic that I decided to help. So <laughs> I started carrying carrying the bricks as he dislodged them and stacking them up on the driveway. And I had to be a good old time. So I'm out there in my dress, my work dress, look like an ass, but I don't care. And I'm stacking these things. All of a sudden it's 20 minutes. I'm like, oh my God, I got to go back in. So I go back in and without thinking, I think, oh, I need to start putting on my makeup. So I start, I get my foundation out and I start putting foundation on my face while I'm tidying up the, the counter. And I look up to put on my mascara. And do you know what I saw? <laughs> What step did I miss before putting on my foundation? Your hands. I did not wash my hands. Look like you're so a coal I mine. look like a coal miner. <laughs> and I thought of that movie. What is that ridiculous movie? It's my favorite movie too. Where, basic? No, it's the one. It's oh, oh gosh, Zoolander. Zoolander. Zoolander, where he goes down and pretends he's a oh, yeah. he's a he's a coal miner for a day. And he paints up his face. That is exactly what I look like. I was Gosh. covered in soot in my face. At which point I start laughing hysterically. <laughs> and I'm thinking, look at me right now. So anyway, I had to obviously clean myself off and start over again. But it was a classic, <clears throat> classic Mary moment 
Yeah, that was where I did not pay attention. I know you say you're going to pull your back out and you were down. No, couldn't get to your phone. (laughs) Well, not that I have not done that, but I'm just saying around your your. Help me! I fell down. I can't get up. (laughs) It didn't work. Or you forgot to replace the battery. (laughs) No, I need to kind of have to put the battery in. But anyway, there I had my Zoolander moment, Gary, and it was pretty funny. And I I just had to laugh at myself. Yeah. I have one like really, really stupid one this week, and I have one from the past. So I call them bike humility moments. Oh, okay. I can do both if you want. Sure. So you know you. You do your laundry and you put some sheets in there and, you, you know, sometimes I, my, my washer, I don't know is it everyone does this, but mine's like kind of possessed. It does this, <laughs> you turn it on hot and it goes, oh. and it just spits up like a little water. Oh, That's wow. It. Okay. Until the water temperature gets high, then it'll, then it'll go, and then it'll go, shh. Okay. So it's doing it, but it takes a while. So I don't put the, the soap in there until it. It's like kind of getting full because it otherwise it just puts the soap in one place. And it gets all clunky. It's just weird. Yeah, it is weird. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to wait. So uh, sure enough, everything finishes. I go back out and there's, of course, a nice cup full. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no you didn't put no it soap. In. So I had to redo it. Redo and, it. And just note to self. Okay. And then I did the whole plump, plump thing again. Anyway, so um, that's a very simple one. Yeah, that's something we've all done. How about, how about something a little more, I don't know, crazy? Okay. So anyone that knows me knows I love bikes, and I've mm-hmm. been on a bike since I was a kid. And um, I did not come from uh, what we call – I came from humble means. I'll yes, say. you did. So uh, I came from a situation where I had a, a used bike that was – I don't know how we procured it. Maybe it was – we found Maybe it. Maybe it's better in, that we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we found it in a landfill. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, very popular brand of the day called the Huffy, which oh, was Huffy. basically a piece of junk. and. They were such junk, in fact, that Colorado had a very famous thing for years called a Huffy Toss. And you're like, what's a Huffy Toss? Well, a Huffy Toss is there's a cliff and there's a person with a Huffy. And whoever could throw it the furthest off the cliff got a new Huffy. Really? That, the wow. Huffy Toss. So okay. There's a Huffy. And it was one of those three on the tree, you know, little shifter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the, on the top tube. Yeah. And so uh, I thought, hey, I'm going to get some um, highly toxic paints and I'm going to paint this thing <laughs> like white. I want to change Ooh. the color because I want it to be like a Schwinn. Okay. Because the Schwins were cool. Oh, yeah. And were really expensive. So I did this. It looked pretty cool. And so I'm, I'm going down the street. You want to know what happened next? I do. All right. We had a neighbor. Uh, I'm in a different neighborhood. Uh, di- uh, and this guy had this car. He was always had the car out. It's his, it was like a Jaguar. Oh. Yeah, yeah very, very nice fancy car. car. Yeah. yeah, very cool. So I, I'm like, I'm riding along and I'm checking out how really cool this oh, no. white thing. And I went... Bam. Right in the back. Oh. Onto the back of the car. <gasps> Gary. I hit in a crumpled oh. nest. I fall off. Oh, no. And I'm, I'm, oh. and you're thinking, oh, am I hurt? I'm not thinking that at all. I'm thinking, oh, my God. I just hit this guy's oh, car. He's going to kill God. me. I'm going to be in trouble. I dented it. I put, a, I put a scratch in it. I did something. Of course, everything in those days was just really hardcore metal. Right. It didn't hurt the thing at all. Oh, okay. It hurt my bike. Oh. Because it was a Huffy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, here I am just looking oh, down, like, no, checking, well, that's a really cool job. shifter. Boom. Oh, yeah, poor done. Gary. Done. And the book wipe didn't work from then on? Uh, After all that work you put into it? It had, a, you know, a little bit of a wave oh, to it, no. you know, and you write it from... Oh, dear. Like, kind of like your washer. Yeah, kind of like my yeah. washer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> it didn't, wasn't, the, wheel, the wheel was never quite true again. The front oh, no. wheel. It was just kind of, you know, uh, well, fun, fun, but it was good enough. I could ride it. It was in the shipper okay. looked cool. I was good. Set a distractor moment. Yeah. Bless your heart. Yeah. Were you hurt? No, I have to recall. Okay. Someone would say, yeah, you had severe head injury. <laughs> if your behavior is any indication. But yeah, no. But mercifully, you don't know. But, yeah, I don't. You know. don't know that, so that's, that's the okay. beauty of it. That's right. I don't know. We could all speculate. That's right. Oh my gosh, Gary. All right. Well, you know, you've spent another time with us, and we do appreciate it, uh, listening, and we appreciate it when you subscribe. And again, in a few weeks, we're going to be doing our live show. Looking that's forward right. to that. We'll have some. Um, so uh, let's see, maybe a rec- not a record, a microphone in the audience, maybe to kind of yeah, yeah, get the questions. Some and, questions and. And, uh, and hecklers, and hecklers. hecklers I'm, sure. I'm sure there'll be hecklers, and and our swag came in, so we do have some raffle prizes we'll be giving away, and so do people know what swag look, 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 swag swag is is giveaways, you oh, know, giveaways, like, yeah. yeah, like uh, cool. like tote bags and things like that with our atypical <laughs> sign on earplugs, earplugs, <laughs> yeah. volume reduction. To the show, <laughs> you can put them in. I love that show. It's the best show. They've ever Get tickets to the show. That's right. Well, you, only certain people can come in, but yeah. Angelina, let us know. We'll see if we can get. We'll see if we can get Angelina in. We'll get you on the. We'll see if we can get list. you on the invite list. Oh, okay. Thank you for joining us, Thank and you so we much. will talk with you soon. Bye bye.